0: executive editor of farm equipment welcome to farm equipment's used equipment remarketing roadmaps podcast in this episode host casey seymour of moving iron llc sat down with aaron fintel remarketing specialist with 21st century equipment if this is your first time listening you can subscribe to the podcast via itunes the google play store soundcloud stitcher radio spotify or TuneIn radio by subscribing you're alerted when each new episode is released in this episode casey and aaron cover a lot of ground as we head into the last two months of the year they start things off discussing how Harvest has gone and what they think the last two months of equipment buying will look like.
1: Well, this week I have got my good friend Aaron Findle back here with us and there's a, uh, quite a bit of stuff going on. We're at the end of the year here. We are in that last quarter of the year push as we start heading into first of the year. And with the way harvest is going right now, if you take a look at all the stuff that's happening, there is more than enough time for guys to stop and think about what, what they've got to do for the rest of the year after they talk to their accountants and count all the uh, bushels they've got. Because for the most part, our guys are going to be done like in a week. It feels like there's still some sugar beets that are going to be be getting dug and those kind of things. But for the most part, corn harvest is at the very tail end of uh, everything awesome happening there. So what are your thoughts on that? I kind of step back and take a look at that. Guys, we're going to have a pretty big, I think we're going to have a busier than normal November because typically in November and December this year, we've in the past five years have been like, okay, so we're done with harvest. It's December 28th, and we need to make some decisions now. And so uh, what are your thoughts on that? I agree with that.
2: I mean, typically within our country, Mm -hmm. our AOR, we don't even think about corn until November 1st. Right, yeah. For, especially for the guys that have beets, which is the majority, um, you know, around our... Alliance, Bridgeport, Scotts Bluff, Fort Morgan, Sterling, you know, those yeah. kind of stores. There are some large operations that are going to be done with everything November 1st. Yeah. That's unheard of yeah. out here. Of course, 80 in October is fantastic corn picking yeah. weather.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, we had that early freeze that kind of sped things up for us too. Yep. And, I mean, it's been a perfect, perfect harvest year. The drawback to that is it is so god-awful dry everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a nightmare. It sucks to be a grass hay guy. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Back to your first question, you know, about guys wrapping up and counting their bushels and how should they go about it. That That can be quite simply answered with one statement they should just call Aaron and buy him buy some buy some machine <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know how else to slice it that's that's pretty cut and dried it's pretty simple yeah. <laughs> you know I, I I do agree with you I I know you know being on the the egg twitter so much there is a lot of I don't know of anybody who's not ahead of schedule Right, those poor guys in Iowa that got the Dredcho, the, the fancy name paint. for wind—yeah, yeah. those guys have got some slow going because they yeah. got to digest everything above the dirt to get any of that if they're picking it. Right. You know, as we've yep. seen, a lot of guys dust her up and called her good. Yeah. Call her good. We'll worry about volunteer corn next year. Right. Um, so I mean, it's it's a little bit a little bit of everything. I think the end of the year stuff. I would venture. There's a lot of years you're really at the hottest, I want to say, we'll call it the 20th to Mm -hmm. the 30th, five days each side of Christmas. Right. That always feels real hot and heavy. I think this year, by the 15th of December, a lot of that will probably be largely wrapped up. Yeah. Also, it could be the complete opposite. Because they will have more time to count and think and look, and right. it it could be vice versa. It could be shopping Palooza until the twenty eighth, twenty seventh, and just boom, boom, boom. You right. Know, three or four days of fury. Could right. go
1: either way. Could be both. Let's hope for both. <laughs> right. So for happy medium in there somewhere. Now I'm with you. I think I think I'd look at what's going on here, and I think the month of November, towards the tail end of November, will be busier and bleed over into december yeah, and I, I really think my my personal opinion that guys are going to have purchased what they're going to purchase by the 20th of december and i think they're going to have that that last stint barring any guy hanging out and what mail you know, for that that late december auction or something like that where they're going to watch whatever it is to go across the, across the block and, and make that decision then but i really feel like it's going to be a fair amount of their decisions are be made by mid you know 15th december 20th december and that last week of december in my opinion barring something crazy happening where all of a sudden oh crap corn jumped up to 450 cash corn all of a sudden now everyone's like oh yeah now we're gonna make some stuff happen but most of that'll get carried over into to, to 21 at that yeah point. yeah kind of like the spike in beans you exactly know? yeah so many guys
2: are like yeah that's great i'm hauling my nine dollar beans to town <laughs> <Right. laughs> you know right yeah but yeah. but they they made that move because that eliminated their risk, right? You know, yep. yep so, yep. so as you look there at is that now, real quick, you almost said as guys were you know going to watch auctions and stuff, watch it go across the block. I feel like you almost said watch it go across the scale, which which would be which, accurate yeah. if we're talking.
1: Certain machines. Certain machines, exactly.
2: <laughs> Which we promised ourselves we were not, not
1: going to discuss talk about today. Not going to talk about them. No. All right, so guys you've been talking to, all of the uh, action that you see happen right now, what is what is the primary, like what are the top three machines classes that you're that you're talking to guys about now? Is it mm. high horsepower, real crops? Is it four-wheel drives? Is it, is it combines, is it placing heads, is it tillage pieces? Like what, sprayers, planters? What, what's on the block? What are you guys seeing right now?
2: Top three would be eight hours always. Right. That's number one. Number two would be, I would say probably I'm just gonna say track tractors, eights and nines. Okay. And then number three would be planners. Planners case okay, so let's talk about
1: let's talk about the track tractor market for a little bit. That is a market that has, in my opinion, really taken off in the last twelve months more than it's have we seen in the past. And there's a million reasons for it, you know, it's horsepower to the ground and all these different arguments that you come see that they see happening. I think the biggest driving factor in the explosion of the popularity of tracks is the fact that oh crap, it costs me as much or more to put eight tires on a four-wheel drive now as it does for me to buy a set of tracks and update the undercarriage on my 500 horsepower track machine. And now by the way, I get more power to the ground oh and by the way i get this that and the other thing that come along with having less compaction and all those kind of things what are your thoughts i hate i hate to admit this but you really hit the
2: nail on the head when why would you hate to admit that well because i don't think you need any more pats on the back <laughs> <laughs> your your shoulder hurts from doing it <laughs> yourself so i don't <laughs> i don't want to pile on um you're exactly right though if you look back to the 55 Cat, the 8400T Deer. Mm-hmm. They were kind of a, I mean, there's guys that jumped on and they haven't had a tire since. There's a lot of guys, though, that got them because, oh, yeah, the, you got your cool factor. Right. Oh, forever yeah. exists in machinery. Plus, you got your, well, we can go across roads, you know, and we can kind of do this and do that. Boy, they suck on the road, you know. Yeah. So, you, you had your your... Biggest group that was the middle of the road guys that, well, we'll get one and kind of try it. Everybody had a 8000, mm-hmm. an, an 8000 ought T mm-hmm. or a 35, 45, 55 cat Right. Or an 8010 T. Right. Then uh, Caterpillar came out with the MTs and, ooh. But ADCO built the MT. Okay. So that was made. it. All MTs were made in Jackson. It was still Caterpillar's brains that yeah. built that. Let's yeah, be real. Anyway, the MTs came along and those dedicated track guys were like, oh shit, that's nice. All right. Fast forward to the 8RT, whole different, oh yeah. Whole different world, different yeah. buyers, different everything. Some of those guys a lot of guys stayed eight RT. Some guys are like, wow, that is so much better, but I'm just an ILS front dual guy. I've talked with quite a few guys through the year and they're like, well, you know, and they're what I would call, they they haven't had a track. Mm -hmm. They're, they're (laughs) probably like a large B, right. You know, by dealership speak. Um, And these guys, they've never had one, or they were one of the ones that have flirted with the the aught and the 10 and the 20. And those guys, you know, that's one of the questions you get. Well, what about maintenance? You know, what about tracks? And I've always told guys, I said, if you look at doing all six, you know, say you got a, you know, 50s on the back, 420, 34s on the front, just a regular 8R, tracks... And those six tires, pretty much dead heat. By the time that you get front duels, it's cheaper to do two tracks mm-hmm. than all eight tires. Right. And then you have guys that say, Well, yeah, but then you got your your drives and your idlers on your bogeys, and well, that's fine. You got front end seals and ILS, you know, oh, yeah. all that, accumulators, yeah. all that everything on that other tractor, the track. Long run is going to be less maintenance. Right. Typically, Typically, not always. Typically, yes. So, that's that a that's a big part of it, too. Plus, now they zip down the road better. They're still a track tractor as far as ride, mm-hmm. but you go drive an 8430T and then go drive an 8295RT,
1: no comparison, man. Right. Yeah. They've done a lot in suspension, you know, independent bogey wheels suspension oh, yeah. and all those kind of things. Back in the, back in my cat days when you would, I used to love doing it at the, at the dealership in the lot, there was a little, oh boy, little lip, you know, <laughs> hey, I'd, I'd drive over this little thing like, and that was my favorite thing to do, but cause it would, I mean, it was like driving a tank. What I could imagine oh, driving a tank was, I mean, you just drive up and then you get to a point where it teeters and it falls forward. You know, yep. it was, that's how it was. And and now you, you, when I would take a guy and I would show him, like, okay, so here's. Here's how the 65C is, you know, or an E or whatever it was I had, and going. And then this is a this is the MT. You go drive it up there, and you drive that thing, drive a, and then you take the MT and you drive it up, and it kind of kind of somewhat molds to the to the hill, and it kind of comes over. So, over the years, track suspension and the way things ride and all those different aspects of it have made a uh, an incredible dent in the overall performance of the machine. Right <clears throat> now. One thing about track machines, too, is they're infinitely easier to auto-track. Oh, yeah. Because they can, it's just, you have a set on each side, and it's just simple turn either way. You don't have to worry about front tires turning or anything like that. It's just straight straight and narrow. So that comes there. So while we're on on the track side of it. Real quick, just to piggyback onto that to give you an idea, when
2: I came to the green side in 08, it took, oh, my God. Say the tractor's already green star ready and you just put a valve in it, you're probably looking at five, six thousand bucks. Right. Or if you had an 8410T, it was like $800 for a chip in the steering block
1: and, ooh,
2: auto track.
1: Like, wow, that was a difference. Yeah. That was that whole steering valve kind of progression into the. Light bar and the, oh, you know, yeah. all that stuff, easy steer and all those kind of things. Outback, they were <laughs> remember the Outback? They had to run there for a minute. They were kind of the cats meow for they a while. Were. Yeah, they were. All those things were easy steer with the wheel. Oh, there's there's a lot of
2: that out there yet. Yeah, just because it's it's such a cost effective, probably the way I want to put it. it, it it's a great cut. Doesn't work for shit on RTK, but if you're not if you're anything other than RTK, it's right. great. Yeah. you can throw it in a
1: 1086 binder. You right. know, yep. it goes in anything. I remember when Outback came out; it was like the 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 bolt on system that didn't require anything. It's like just like you put it in there and you just kind of make it work. And right, there was, there was, <laughs> right. There was no like real like formula that you had to go do, and you just like you put it on there and it just goes. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, and what
2: was cool when Outback first came out is they were like light bar on steroids
1: because there was light
2: bars and they were literally just that little black bar and oh try to get the middle dot whereas the outback had those curved lights and then your lights up and down in the middle so you could really tell where the hell you were at you get all them lit up in the middle and oh
1: man you know that was space age (laughs) yeah that was that was cutting edge for a minute and now just like everything else technology wise it just kind of comes and goes oh yeah
0: We'll get back to Casey and Aaron in a moment, but first, I wanted to invite you to join us for Ag Equipment Intelligence's 2021 Executive Briefing, December 9th through 10th. The two-day virtual event will feature a mix of live and on-demand sessions with perspectives from dealers, farmers, and manufacturers on the state of the ag equipment business. To register and learn more, visit www.agequipmentintelligence.com. Let's get back to Casey and Aaron as they discuss how the way farm customers view equipment differs from construction customers and how that is also changing as farms get bigger and we see more farm consolidation.
1: All right, so now let's talk about how many conversations you're having guys with with either an IH quad track or a a 9RX or 8RX or those kind of things. How How much of those conversations are you having? A little bit. The...
2: I don't feel like there's a lot of. I know what happens because you see it. I don't feel like there's a lot of color switch on four wheel drive on on four track four wheel drives. I'll leave it at that. I don't. I don't feel like there's a lot of. Well, we got this one, and let's try that one, and you know, back and forth, back and forth. I feel like you know the red guys like the red, the green guys like the green, and right. I know of some green guys that did have the red and got the green and stayed green. Right. Right. Um, I I just haven't had, I guess, a lot of conversations on 4Track anything. Obviously, the 8RX, you know, guys have demoed it, which shocks me. I have not had anybody say that, oh, my God, that's a game changer. Everybody just... Doors that that's done demos you know whether they're in you know the black lands of Texas North Dakota Ohio Washington State they love it right it's just amazing unfortunately it's half many pull tractor but you it sells everything else I mean yeah. you know at, at some point yeah that I shouldn't say doesn't matter but at some point that's a it you look at it from a way different angle than just here's what that tractor costs. Yeah. You know, it's efficiency, it's uptime, it's ride, it's everything. Yep. Now I think it's probably the most versatile tractor on the market.
1: Hands down. Oh, I totally agree with that. But if you take a look at what the, uh, overall, everything, everything is getting expensive. So now you start looking at payment structures and you start looking at how things are going to play into your operation and, It's not half a million dollar tractor. It's a X number dollar planner or X number dollar payment that that year. And then I'm going to make that payment work in my operation. Kind of like we've talked about in the past. I brought up, you know, that whole construction thing that a guy's doing a job and that that machine's figuring into that job and so on and so forth. And you go, um, guys can argue that, well, that's different because they're getting paid, you know, whatever. Well, you got to also remember that. Most of the time, the road you're driving on, the bridge that you're going across, or the building that you're looking at, or whatever it is, the lowest bidder is the one building that. So I mean, <laughs> right, you know, yeah. what I, mean? I mean, it's it's so comforting. It's, <laughs> it's, it's it's one of those things where you've got you got people that are that are you know their margins are thin and they're working those ways through and they're doing what they have to do and looking at the way to look. But it all comes down to what it is that you're doing operational size, those kind of things, how all these different pieces of equipment, age, years, whatever it is, all play into that, that scenario, whatever that looks like. Right. Um, Obviously you're going to have opportunities based on your, your economies of scale and what that looks like in your thing. So the way I look at it is guys are looking at each machine uh, as of, I can afford this amount of, Dollars for equipment, maintenance and everything else per acre or per bushel or per whatever it is. And I feel like most guys know that and they're working that math problem out to say like, okay, so I can afford this.
2: Right. And and (laughs) I think a lot of guys, at least guys I talk to, more often than not, it's always cost per acre. Yeah. That's what it comes down to, right? Because I've had guys reach out to me that are like, hey, this is what we're doing now. It's fine. And they're picking up like two quarters. And he's like, I got it. Trade tractors to make that work. Right. Or trade combines to make those two quarters work. It's not a huge thing, but it is going to push us enough that we need to bump. Right. You know? One thing I'm glad you touched on, and that's a tremendous, I shouldn't call it a disconnect, but two completely different viewpoints of looking at the same thing iron. Mm -hmm. Construction guys, it is a widget. Yeah, it's, I'm going to use that D8H for this, cost me this, that's it. End of discussion. Right. This guy's looking at a 9620RX, and wow, that's how much, and man, that's the payment and all of that, and if they're not looking at it from that cost per acre, or even if they are, and it's, man, that's so big, well... They're just looking at that. They're not looking at productivity and, you know, right. the, the feature benefit side. It becomes price only and then, you know, kind of falls away. In the construction world, it's way more of a, this is a piece of iron to do a job. Right. I don't care if it's deer, Komatsu, cat, whatever. Right. You don't have that mag world. Right. If you do, it is a tiny percentage. Yep. Well, we we're only going to buy green. We're only going to buy red. Mm-hmm. You know. And as soon as that thing hits the farm, I'm trying to think of the right word. It's not a love affair with it, but emotional attachment. Emotional attachment. attachment yeah. Yep. It's yeah. part of the family. Right. The yellow is a tool. It's a pair of pliers. Mm-hmm. The the green green red silver whatever, black with red wheels, whatever it is, is part of the family, right? you know, and that's, it's so different. But I think as far as farms getting bigger, and I hate the term mega farm, but large farms where, you know, it's XYZ farms and Mr. XYZ isn't necessarily the guy in the seat. Once you
1: get to that point, I think you see more of that though. Well yeah. You see a lot more guys measuring what what it is that they're getting for their for their dollars, right? right? So that's when you start looking at what's the technology look like, what's the efficiency of the machine looks like, what's the serviceability of this machine look like? Yeah. How far do I have to go to get parts? Where's the guy coming from that's gonna service my equipment?
2: And that's the biggest thing. I've seen ag producers with,
1: you know, the the new
2: Lexions mm-hmm. that are out, the eighty eight hundred or the X nine. Right. And, oh man, it'll do, you know, it'll do so much, it'll do so much. And other guys going, maybe this guy's right next door to Lexion and he loves the X9, but that dealer's 30, 40 miles away. Right. So he's going to go Lexion. Right. You know, they, these guys have, they they demoed an 8700 and loved it, but they're going to stay with a S790, because the dealer's five miles away. Right. I feel like that has happened a lot more in agriculture than it ever used to. People being more conscious of serviceability, mm-hmm. having a bigger impact
1: than color or right. love. Right. you know? I also think now you're starting to see, again, back to the construction model, which we see happen, and it's just the morphing of this kind of model and the way it looks. There, There are more and more... Dealerships now, ag dealerships that are looking at field service and how they're setting up their trucks now to be, you know what, we can kind of do whatever we want out here. And one, by the way, Mr. Customer, your shop is probably nicer than ours. So we're just, we can do your PSP in your shop. We can do, we can pull that engine. You know, there's a lot of those things that are happening right now. And you're starting to see that, that facet of the business start to grow.
2: Oh, yeah. If a yeah. dealer, if a dealer, you don't see a dealer. Whose main ass kicking service truck is a dually anymore. No. Or a three quarter ton pickup. No. You know? It's a it's a freaking class eight straight truck with mm-hmm. a service body and a big ass crane. Mm-hmm. Or at the very least, it's a you know a fifty five hundred Dodge, a five fifty Ford, a fifty five hundred Kodiak Chevy. Right, you know, those almost c65 chevy trucks you know right. a two and a half ton truck that yeah. is like commonplace run of the mill now yeah. yeah yeah and even 10 years ago it was like wow they got one hell of a service truck and now it's like oh we gotta drive that old <laughs> yeah. 55 on because the such and such has the peterbilt right pulling an engine on a combine right at joe blow's place <laughs> yeah you know yep. it's it's just a whole different world and i think r- real quick as, we, as I said, you know, some of those bigger farms are going to that construction model when it comes to machinery, utilization, purchasing, operating, all of that. I would say, you know, for sure the – I think it's growing a lot in like the over 10,000 market. Oh, yeah. And I think within five years, it'll be the, the five plus. You know, the, the, it'll take the big guys to do it. And, and the big guys already start thinking that way. You know, they're the early adopters and all that typically. Once they do it and it works for them, the trickle down will be
1: very fast. You know, well, uh, you also got to think about, too, the number of, as you start looking at the demographic of the of the American farmer, right, the, uh, the number of guys that are, that are 60 plus years old and don't have someone coming back to the farm. Oh, it's a huge, it's a huge number, right? Huge. So that, that next five years of consolidation of on-farm consolidation, what that looks like is going to be like 1990 dealership consolidation. Oh uh, you know?
2: yeah. I mean, yeah. <clears throat>
1: I mean, cause you're going to start seeing some guys that were, it's just that amount of, of, of that amount of opportunity that's going to pop up in the next five years for, for growers is going to be, very similar to what it was, dealership consolidation in in, right. in the early two thousands, late nineties, you know, mid two thousands, you know, as you start looking at today, it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but that's the other side of it. I mean, just like the growth and change in the business, and and then how that, how we make all of that come together and work, you know, as we morph into whatever it is we morph into. So I think there's
2: well, and I think even even without that. Mm-hmm. You know, the guys that are just five, I I don't – What I just want to touch on this quick. What I was getting at is, you know, the 5,000-acre guys going to that in five years, that's just them by themselves. Right. I meant with that, we're, we're both talking about the same thing, just different angles right. of it. Yep. Yeah, where we're even, you know, 10 years from now, the guy that's 3,000 acres is, well – do that and that and that and they're going to be x amount and they're gone and then we do that 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 again x amount gone and you know just on down the road yeah. and not having to do a multi-unit or anything like that they might have 8370r that when it hits these hours my cost per acre has now hit that it's gone right new one then it's an 8R3 set, you know, and yeah. down, not every piece all together and make a multi-unit deal. Just everything is clockwork, not the, well, we should trade, uh, we'll wait till next year. There isn't that. It's, right. It
1: hits that, it's gone. Yeah. It hits that, it's gone. Yeah, no, I think there's, there's more of that, you know, it's got, it has had this many bushels ran through it or it's, tilled this many acres or it's planted this many acres and my depreciation schedule and da da, da 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 Now all of a sudden I've hit this sweet spot where I've maximized my ability to get a return on this machine. Now I'm going to go out and do it again. Yeah. And that's, that is getting to be, we start to see that now. Not that you didn't really, not that you didn't see it in the past, but now it's way more proud. The conversations I'm having with guys are way different than they were even two years ago. It's not economy related. It's here's how to, how do I maximize my machine profitability in my field, not efficiency, not this, not that, but when, when is the right time to make these things happen? And when do I pull these levers and not, not these levers over here? And those are all the conversations that we're having. And, and it's just, it's just the evolution of the business evolution of the farmer evolution of, of, of the overall, you know, economies of scale and how they all into each other and, my economies of scale are different than your economy of scale, and there's there's things that play into that and how those all things look. So,
2: Yeah, for instance, a guy that, you know, if he was a Missouri flood last year mm-hmm. or a Northern Plains prevent plant, never right. could get to any of it. Let, last December might have been his trade year, yeah, but he didn't because he didn't do the hours. Mm-hmm. He didn't utilize – I mean, he, he made his payment. He paid it down with – whatever funds he got for the situations, but he didn't trade because he has not, he didn't put any hours on it. Right. So his cost per hour per acre, which is how a lot of guys look at it, a combination of the two. And I'm right. not a mathematician. I can't explain any of that. But when, when you combine those two, that guy is just like, well, we're running with what we got next year. Cause right. we didn't use it this year. Right. You know, yep. Other than the disc in August when they can finally get out there, right? Yep. And we're playing wheat, so right later when, next year.
1: Yep. No, that's there's again. Those are all those are all things you play into, and then there's there's ways that you look at other things too. And I've had this conversation with with guys before about you know when, when's the right time for me to buy that that carryover machine, right? That new carryover, that new twenty or that new nineteen. when it's a 2020 20 model year 2021 model year production scale schedule and my my response to them every time is how long do you plan on keeping it and how many hours do you plan on running it through and if they tell me they're going to do it um less than less than two years two years or less I'm, i i usually tell them it's not the best option for you that to my opinion is that three-year deal when you put you have a three-year machine and you've got you know quote-unquote two years worth of average hours on it that's when you start hitting that that's when I think my opinion is when you hit that sweet spot of that machine,
2: right. And when you are talking value, once you get to three years, three years, four years, don't make a lot of difference, right. Yep. Whereas if he does that in the first year or two, mm-hmm. he made himself a two or three year old tractor when it
1: was only one or two, right. Now the flip side of that is if you have that that model year carryover, and you are dealing with a with a larger producer, and they have a whatever their discount structure looks like that also weighs into that because yeah. when you start looking at okay here's what it costs here's what trade value is going to be and everything else does that discount structure offset whatever moving parts they have going on in their business at that point those discount structures are play a big a big factor into what that looks like but if you just buy a an combine and you are looking to make a deal with someone on that my or a tractor or whatever it is my personal opinion is if you can put a three-year-old machine and have two years worth of average hours, whatever that average hour is for your area, it varies from place to place to place to place. That's when you start hitting that sweet spot. And you got, cause especially if you have like a, like in our area, if you have a, uh, a three-year-old tractor, that's got, you know, basically 500, 700 hours a year is going to, well, what we put on a, on a tractor, a, a row crop tractor, a full drive tractor. If you've got a three-year-old tractor, that's only got a thousand hours on it, not 1500 or 750 or something like that whole crap all of a sudden someone's going like oh that's a i want that one because yeah. it's got you know it's got low hours on it right you know and you put the same number of hours on it, you would traditionally it's just the math works out you're dividing by three instead of two
2: yeah they don't, the <laughs> only time i i completely agree with that the only time i would say it's different and it's it's a prevalent holdover market right now mm-hmm. planners year to year I feel like means way less on planters acres make way bigger it's yeah. just acres right you know yeah. so if it's a if you can you order 21 in June or they had a new 19 sitting there if it was me I'd probably pick the 19 yeah you know it's brand new right. it hasn't been in the field yeah they both got zero acres or both exact emerge uh-huh. then yeah save the money and when that 21 gets traded off in 22, 25.
1: It's not gonna make a lot of difference because it's acres. So if you take that that same nineteen, for example, and say you just go run it for one year and turn it in. Now you've got a nineteen on it that's got whatever, seventy five hundred acres on it, or whatever the number is that you put on it, right? Somebody's gonna look at that and be like, Man, for a nineteen, those those discs look good. Right. Oh man, those boots look great. You know, you start looking at all these different Components that you think, well, it's a nineteen, it's three years old. Man, it's going to need a lot of work. Oh man, this thing's things look almost brand new. Yep. It is. one so season. <laughs> exactly. On. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know. So <clears throat> those are all those are all the different things you have going on there. So, well, I think we've kind of hit it here. Any last thoughts you want to throw out there?
2: Not that I can think of. I think I think we've g-
1: exhausted it all. I right don't. Okay. <laughs> well, good deal. Why well, are if folks want to reach out to you and? Pick your brain out what's going on in the marketplace, or just get some of these smoking hot deals you got laying around. What's the uh, best way to do that?
2: I am pretty active
1: on Ag Twitter, and on
2: Twitter I am at Aaron fintail Or you can call me, text me,
1: 308 760 1193. Right on. And I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find all the latest edition of the Moving Iron Podcast.
0: Thanks, Casey and Aaron. We've got even more used equipment remarketing resources that we're sending your way. In addition to this podcast, we're also tapping into Casey's expertise across all our informational channels. If you've got a question for Casey, I'd encourage you to head over to farm-equipment.com backslash ask the expert. Submit a question and we'll get Casey's answer to it up on our Ask the Expert blog. And you can keep up with the latest industry news by registering online to receive our free newsletters. Visit www.farm-equipment.com. And don't forget to visit agequipmentintelligence.com to learn more about the 2021 Executive Briefing. For Casey and Aaron, as well as our entire staff here at Farm Equipment, I'm Kim Schmidt. Thanks for listening.